to have forward movement in our church. And one of the ways that we, uh, we believe that the Lord is moving us forward is by doing this membership, you know, implementing membership at Calvary Napa. Now, as I have said before, it, it occurred to me over this last week, uh, I've talked to a number of people about this, and I get mixed feelings. You know, there are some people that are all for it. They're like, this is fantastic. I'm ready. When can I be a member? And there are some people who are like, nah, they could take it or leave it. Some people are like, what in the world is going on here? I don't like this. And some people are like, why, why are we doing this again? What is this about exactly? And it's like, well, I've only been talking about it for 12 weeks. I'm pretty sure you haven't told us why. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have said why like a thousand times, but okay. So today I want to kind of rehash and recap a little bit of the what and the why. And I also want to just acknowledge that, you know, in any, a group of any size, small or large, you're just going to have a variety of opinions and feelings about the matter. And I, I understand that, you know. And so I, I've never, I don't ever go into anything thinking that there's going to be unanimous support on any particular decision. The last thing I want to do is anger anybody or offend or frustrate or freak anybody out. I want to be very gracious and, um, you know, humble in, in my leadership. That's true of all of us as the elders. Um, but we want to lead. We want to lead well. And leaders aren't leaders if they don't have followers. Shepherds aren't shepherds if they don't have sheep. Amen? And so uh, as we enter into new territory and seek to step out in faith, we, we ask that our people follow us, you know. And there's no guarantees, no guarantees that this will affect any greater level of help, but we believe that it will. We believe that it will. And so we want to step out and see what the Lord may do. Amen? I, I like that. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will do something very special. Let's just step out and see. That's biblical, you know. And so that's what we're about. Now, I just want to kind of acknowledge some obvious concerns. I do know um, that, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel, the church, was really kind of born and operated um, out of a, I don't want to say an anti-denominationalism. That's a really long word. But, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of things that denominational churches in the past have done that weren't good, and they became kind of, uh, they became bad practices and patterns that really did not foster health, and, and at times I do think membership has become distorted or corrupted when you have a denomination that you report to, and they expect X amount of salvations and baptisms, and the pastor feels the pressure to report to the denomination, and then you've got different pastors who are wanting to climb, rise through the ranks, and have notoriety. And I've heard stories of pastors bringing seminarians into the church and saying, you have to save X amount of people. And the young aspiring pastor's like, well, how am I supposed to do that? That's not, you know, I can't do that. That's up to the Lord. And they say, well, it's simple. If you can't, I'll find someone who can. And so that's all bad. That's all bad. And when I first came to faith in Christ and was at a Calvary Chapel, I had a pastor explain to me that that was uh, something that they kind of understood to be membership, and so they, they didn't like membership for that reason. And I don't deny that that stuff is out there, but you know what? We don't answer to a headquarters. Uh, we are affiliated with Calvary Chapel, and, and, um, you know, but we don't report to headquarters. And so for us, that is not what this is. I just hope you understand it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. 
Now, some people see leadership as heavy-handed, it's domineering, it's, you know, big brother trying to, like, breathe down your neck and, and flex and feel some sense of, like, power and, you know, and that also, if you know, if you've been here for any length of time, you know, we are about the least heavy-handed, domineering church that, uh, that there could be, and so uh, it just is what it is, and so, you know, that's, that's not what this is either. It's really our desire to be able to more effectively shepherd the flock of God. That's, that's one part of it. Because Hebrews 13, which we're going to look at today, says that the pastor has to give an account for the souls of the folks in his church. Those that have been entrusted to me and the other elders, we have to give an account to the Lord. That's, a, that's heavy, man. That is weighty. And so many different people come in and out each week. And sometimes I think, okay, who exactly <clears throat> thinks this is their church? Who exactly sees me as their pastor? Who is accountable to the leadership here? Who is on the, you know, are we like-minded in mission and vision? Um, you know, there's a lot of people that come and go, and I don't even really have a strong sense. So I've heard their testimony. I don't even know where they are at with the Lord. I don't even know if they know where they are at with the Lord. And that's not good. That's not good shepherding. And so membership helps the elders and the members of the church get on the same page. You know, it gives us this confidence that you, you know the gospel, you understand the gospel, you have assurance of salvation, you understand what we're about here, what the mission of the church is, we're like-minded, we're on the same page, we have the same values, and, um, and that we are your, we're, we're your pastors, and this is your church. It helps us to know that very clearly and to be able to make sure that none of our sheep fall through the cracks because that happens people come they go and sometimes because there's so much of that the church is a revolving door all churches it's not hard for people to come for a time and then go and you don't even notice it at first and then they they're like i left and nobody even called me we we hear those kinds of stories well we don't want that to be true of this church so we want to be crystal clear on who are who are the members here and we, we want to make sure nobody falls through the cracks, that we're all on the same page, that the shepherds are confident that you know the gospel and have trusted Christ savingly. And you understand, you know, there's going to be expectations on both sides. Any relationship in life is that way. There are always expectations. And think that through. In any and every kind of relationship uh, in life, there are expectations to be had. And so we want to be on the same page. So that you know what, what we mean when we say someone is a, a member and well-standing in the church. I'll get into that uh, in, in our message. Because even saying that, I realize, freaks some people out. And so I will, I will put all of that to ease, I trust, today. Amen? And so um, on the flip side of that, from, from your vantage point, I want people to feel a sense of belonging and a sense of commitment. And, you know, we have a handful of people, a good size, I'd say, a handful of people that they're doing everything you would want to see a member do. I mean, they are, they're in it to win it. There's no question about that. And they, they tend to think, well, I don't see a need for, for membership. I don't really see the point in it because they're already kind of doing everything you would hope an exemplary member would do, right? But a lot of people aren't there. They're on the fringes. They're on the periphery peripheral, periphery, and so uh, we believe that this is something that can help people say, you know what, yes, I'm in, 
I'm in. I believe these things. I, I want to be in covenant with you. That's kind of the key word, covenant. That's something that the church has lost. We don't know what covenant means, to be in covenant with one another. It's sacred. It's deep. You know, it, it is something that is true because of what Christ has done for us. And so um, kind of helping people who are maybe on the edge, come on in. You know, so I ask even people who don't necessarily see the benefit of it, to just oblige, because there are a lot of people who we do believe will be benefited by it, and I want to do what's best for the whole flock. Amen? And so I know there's going to be people on all different sides of this, and let me also just say this. I know churches that have done membership for decades, and they have had people in the church, serving in the church for decades, who still won't be members. And I realize that'll be the case here, and that's okay too. We're, we're still here to serve you. We're here to love you and, and pour into you. Whether you want to be a, an official member or not, you're still always welcome here. There's always a seat for you, and we're going to still pour our lives out for you. For you. So, amen? Okay. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and move into it. So this is what we have before us today is essentially, if you wanted to be a member at this church, we would say these are the things that are important to us. These are the things that we would essentially ask you to agree with with us um, because this is you know in a very condensed fashion this is kind of the key the key components and tenets of Calvary membership in part to understand what's important to us and what we would ask you to covenant with us on and so number one is a commitment to the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ that's number one it's his church amen and so we must be committed to him as the Lord of his church and as the head of his church. Here's a definition I will give you of the church that I uh, put together. The church, both universal, that's all believers in all times, on earth and in heaven, past, present, future, that's universal, and the church local, that would be us, you know, Napa Valley Life Church, Grace Church, Hillside, on and on. That's the local churches. So the church, both universal and local, is a body of redeemed saints who exist by the sovereign will of God and the saving work of Jesus Christ and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's heavy. That's a good, concise theological definition right there. But that's what the church is. We are a redeemed people. That was God's will. That was God's doing. It happened because of the saving work of Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And it was applied to us through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, which caused us to be born again. Amen? And so because of those three things working together, here we are as the body of Christ. Called out of the world, called into the church. Now the church exists to glorify and serve Jesus in this life and throughout eternity. That is the ultimate purpose of the church. Now, we, in the day and age that we live in, we, we really kind of like get down to, um, we're, we, we're, how do I put this? We're in our own little bubbles and it's all about us. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that in, in like a harsh or disparaging way, but it's just the way that it is. And so we tend to think that all of this is all about us or even all about me, right? And we have to fight that temptation and realize that it's actually all about Jesus. And this was God's plan from eternity past to bring much glory to his son. And in the process, we are, have the benefit, the blessing of being adopted and redeemed 
and qualified to give much honor and glory to Jesus and to be in the heaven for eternity with our Savior. Amen? And so John 10, 11 says, speak, Jesus speaking, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So our Savior, our shepherd, he laid his life down for us, for his sheep, for the flock of God. Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave himself for the church. For those whom God had gifted to the Son, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. So, as the one who paid the highest price, Jesus, he is worthy of our sincerest praise and loudest praise. Amen? Amen. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of everything that we have and more. He's worthy of everything that we could possibly give him. He is worthy of our hearts and our adoration and of the praise of our mouths and of the works of our hands. Anything and everything, it belongs to him. He died for us. He died for the church. So, Jesus is Savior. He's Master. He's Lord of the church. He's the head of the body. He is the preeminent one. He is the preeminent one. I saw this church in San Jose. The pulpit is like from here to here. I'm like, man, that is a, that's a manly pulpit. And all the way across the front, it says that in all things he may have the preeminence. And I'm like, man, that is glorious. I love that. And you know, I've, I've heard of some pulpits that are so big, the pastor said, I, he said, as I was in it teaching, I, I realized that I was slightly looking down at the people in the balcony. That's how high up in the air the thing was. That's next level, huh? Sorry, total, total tangent there. Anyways, Christ, he must be the preeminent one. And so Colossians chapter 1, starting in 16, says this. All things were created through him and what? For him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. All things are held together by Jesus. And then verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the, what? Preeminence. That in all things he may have the preeminence. So he is the preeminent one. He is the supreme one. He is the master and lord of the church. He is the head of the body. So as we are individually members of one another that make up this body, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the Lord. So we want to be a church that recognizes that regularly. We sing about that regularly, lifting up praises to Christ for who he is and what he has done. And, you know, in order for this to be true collectively, it has to be true individually. Since we collectively make up the body, we individually, together, collectively make up the body, this has to be true of each and every one of us individually. So, you must be born again. If you want to be a member of the church, if you want to be a member of the church universally, you must be born again. The Bible says that you're either in or you're out. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. Right? And so, it's really not that complicated. And so, first and foremost, you must believe in Jesus Christ. 
It is to confess that we are sinners, that we have sinned, that even if we started right now and we were just going to do everything in our power to be as good as we could be, we've already messed up untold millions of times up to this point, even today, already, right? And so we have to give an account to God for what we have already done. But let's just be honest with ourselves. On our best day, we still fall short, far beyond what we even recognize. And so it's kind of just coming to the place and acknowledging that, yes, I have sinned, I have fallen short of the glory of God. If I had to stand before Him right now based on my own merits and my own good works, I would be in big trouble. I would have to pay the penalty for my sin against an infinitely holy God. So that's kind of the starting point. And then confessing that Jesus is God's Son, that He alone has done all those things that are pleasing to the Father. What we could not do, He did. And then He died the death that we deserved, and He suffered the penalty of sin that was ours, and He took God's wrath that was intended for us on Himself in our place, and then He died. And then He rose again from the grave, victorious. Amen? He was the champion, the conqueror. And all of that for us, all of that for us, so that if we would believe, stop trusting in ourselves as being good, because we know we're not, take all that trust and put it on Jesus, and trust in His finished work, His accomplishments, His achievements on our behalf, then we'll be saved, we'll be born again, redeemed, regenerated. Just as Jacoby read from Titus 3, that's where we get that. When Jesus says in John 3, you must be born again, same exact thing as Titus 3 regenerated. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what happens when you trust Christ for salvation. You are born again. And when that happens, you are born into the body of Christ universally. Amen? But in order to be a member of the local church, man, it, it, you got to be born again. And so do you know that? Do you have that assurance? Because you can. If you don't, you can. In fact, 1 John tells us that. He says, These things we have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so how do we know? It's our assurance is in Jesus. That, that's what it has to be. It's not in my own, you know, how far have I come in the Christian walk? Do I meet all of these standards? Do I measure up to some kind of standard that I've created for myself? If that is where our assurance lies, we're in big trouble because either you're, you're really kind of doomed to do two different ends, either despair because you can't measure up or pride because you're like, oh man, I've checked all the boxes. I'm good. I know I'm redeemed. I know that I'm good. There's my assurance. See, both of those are bad, right? And so our confidence, our assurance has to be in Christ's accomplishments on our behalf. Is that what you are trusting in today for salvation? Is that what your, where your hope lies? And so we got to start there. And so to be a member of the church, we ask, are you a member of the universal church? Are you a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Have you been born again, transformed by his glorious grace? And so we hope that's true of everyone in here. And if you don't know that, man, we want to we walk you through that. We, we want to we walk you through those things. And uh, God willing, bring you to a place where you can say, yes, I do believe that. Yes, I have trusted. Yes, I am born again. Amen. Isn't that what we all want here? Man, that's what we live for. Amen. That's what we want to see for everybody that, that comes through these doors. And so that's, that's number one. Number two, we ask if you want to be a, a member of Calvary Napa, 
that you hold to what we would consider to be the fundamentals of the faith. Now, let me say, you don't have to understand all these things. I've already walked through these before. You don't have to understand all these things to be saved. You don't have to be able to articulate every one of these things, right? But we do ask, I mean, if you reject any of these things, then we've got a problem. If you reject these things as true and necessary, or you were to try to teach against them, that would be an issue. You know what I mean? And so these are things that we got to be clear on as a Christian. And um, I want to make a distinction between this which is imperative, this which is essential, and the things that are not. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, and so, you know, to affirm and contend for the essentials of the faith, the essential doctrines that pertain to salvation, uh, to orthodox Christianity, orthodox historical Christianity. Brothers and sisters, we have a heritage, okay? It didn't start with Billy Graham. You know that? If your church history goes back to, like, Billy Graham in the, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, that's a problem. I mean, it goes all the way back to Acts, and we can trace our heritage and our lineage through godly brothers and sisters throughout every generation. And so we stand in a long line of faithful brothers and sisters, men and women, who have upheld and contended for the faith once for all deliver to the saints. And that's the command that Jude gives us in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith, the core tenets of sound doctrine, Christian orthodoxy, has been delivered to us by Jesus Christ to the church, to the apostles, through the apostles, and handed down every single generation since. And here we are. We have this treasure. We have this trust. We are stewards of something very glorious and precious. And we are to know what these things are, embrace them, cherish them, protect them, preserve them, and pass them on. Amen? That's something this church is very serious about and committed to. So what are some of these things? The Word of God. We believe that the scriptures, the scriptures, the Holy Bible, we believe this to be given to us. It is inspired. It is inspired. Um, 2 Timothy 3 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for instruction, for correction, that the man and woman of God, we would be equipped having everything that we need. Amen. For every good work. We believe that the Word of God is infallible and inerrant. We believe that the Word of God is authoritative and sufficient. That, this, is, this is the anchor. This is, this is what we go to right here. I, I want to make a big deal about the Word of God always, the Scriptures. You understand? I think you know that by now. And if you ever see me deviate from that, man, hit me upside the head or something. I mean, this is, this is serious. We are about the Word of God here. And so we don't ever want to apologize for it. We don't want to water it down. We don't want to filter it through, it, through what the world says is acceptable versus what is not. Uh, I, I don't care about what a lot of the so-called, you know, intelligent minds out there inside the church and out say we are not going to bend on these things. This is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient Word of God. Amen? And so we derive all of our truth from this book. This is, this is where I'm going to go. 
if I need to know the heart of God, the mind of God, we have the mind of Christ right here in these pages. Amen? And so that's our commitment. That's our commitment. We are Trinitarian. We believe that there is one God who exists in three persons eternally. We don't believe in three gods. We don't believe in uh, you know, a God who, who manifests himself as one person and then changes into another person and changes into another person. That's called modalism. Uh, we reject that, and that's a lot more common than you would think. But it is a big deal, and we are Trinitarian in our theology. We hold to the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. God in the flesh. Amen? We believe in the virgin birth. Though Jesus existed eternally with the Father in glory, He did take on flesh. He took on a human nature. He was incarnated. The second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, became a man. He was born uh, through a virgin birth and took on another, uh, uh, another nature. So the dual nature of Christ, truly God, truly man. That's called what? starts with an H. Does anybody remember? Hypostatic union. That's good. That's a fancy one, but it's good. I love it. Hypostatic union of Christ, dual nature, truly God, truly man. We believe in the impeccability of Christ. He was perfect in all his ways. Not only did he not sin, he could not sin because he was God. We do believe that God is a God of wrath and judgment. There are a lot of people that would want to do away with that altogether. Um, in fact, you know, in Christ alone, there's that song on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. There was a movement afoot to do away with that line and to say that on the cross where Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. So we don't do away with any, any notion or idea that God is a God of wrath or judgment. Not here. Uh, we, we believe, I mean, if you don't believe that, then what is the purpose of the gospel? What was the purpose of the cross? And uh, that leads me to the next thing, the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Now, the atoning work of Jesus, that is, Jesus dying on the cross and satisfying God's righteous requirements, covering over our sin, washing away our sin, that's what we mean when we talk about atonement, the atoning work of Christ. Well, we believe that atoning work was substitutionary. He did it on our behalf. He was our substitute, and we do believe that it was to pay a penalty. See, we all owed a debt that we could not pay. We were going to be penalized because of our sin against an infinitely holy God. So Jesus on the cross was paying the penalty for our sin, our debt. Now, there are a lot of people within evangelicalism, so-called, that would try to do away with this idea of penal substitutionary atonement. You know, they would just say it was, a, it was an example of mercy. It was a good example of, uh, of love. I just don't understand to what end. If, it, if he did not die... Uh, so that our sins could be forgiven and so that our sins could be washed away and so that God's, God's anger and His justice and His wrath could be, um, you know, appeased ultimately, then what was it for? Why, why did He have to go through all that, you know? And, and so it, it just seems so obvious from the Word of God that that is what Christ came to do. And when we recognize that, it causes us to really rejoice and celebrate the gospel. Amen? When we understand that God was really dangerously holy in ways that we'll just never know in this life. We just can't understand the fierce holiness of God. But when we recognize that, we have to, to answer to this, this holy God. We're in big trouble. 
But man, thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that you accomplished salvation for me so that that is no longer hanging over my head. You know, I'm not dangling over this, this pit and, you know, one day having to stand before God to that end. That, we've been set free from that. So we do believe and teach the, that God is a God of wrath and judgment, but that he sent his son to die in our place, in our stead, because he's also a God of love and mercy. Amen? But God is simultaneously those things at all times. So he didn't just, you know, suspend his justice and mercy so that he could extend grace. The mercy, the, the justice, those are the, the justice and the wrath of God, those things had to be exercised in full force simultaneously so that we could be ultimately forgiven and receive the grace and justice of God. Does that make sense? That's why the cross is so incredible. Because at the cross, God's justice was satisfied. His wrath was poured out on His Son. And at the same time, mercy and grace was extended. That's what is so glorious about the cross of Jesus. That's why we don't want to take away from it. We don't want to turn it into something that, it, that it's not. We don't want to apologize for it. We want to say what it is because God is glorified in it. In the gospel, in the good news, through the cross... You know, the, the glories of God are, are laid out for us, plainly. And so I don't want to change it into something that it's not when it brings God glory. Amen? So holding to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, He really did die. He really did rise again from the grave. The ascension of Christ. He really did ascend into heaven where He is seated at the right hand of God, even now interceding on our behalf. Amen? Isn't that amazing to think? Right now, Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf as our great high priest. Jesus will return. Jesus is going to return. We believe that salvation comes by grace through faith. We believe that we are justified by faith. It's not our works. It's not our good deeds. It's not Christ plus anything else that we can offer to it. It's simply faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is how we receive this salvation. It's God's grace through faith. We believe in the assurance of salvation for the believer. You must have that. We must have assurance. We preach and believe the exclusivity of Christ. He's the only way. He made that crystal clear. It's hard to get around the very words of Jesus. And then Peter echoed that. There's salvation in no other name. Amen? And so Jesus is exclusively the way to heaven. Now, a lot of people don't like that, you know? It's exclusive. But you know what? God is also a very inclusive God. The word has gone out through the whole world, you know? Come, whosoever believes. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, amen? And so uh, people will be saved from every tribe, nation, and tongue through every generation, but that is God's means of salvation exclusively through His Son. We believe in the reality of heaven and hell. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And so uh, we believe in those things as a real place. Either where we will go to heaven because of what Christ accomplished for us, and we will be with God in glory forever in paradise, or we will go to a place called hell because we rejected what God did for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and we'll have to pay for our own sins for eternity. We believe and teach those things. We believe in the necessity of a holy life. If you say that you believe in these things, God calls you to live holy. 
as he is holy. We'll get to that in a moment. And I would also say holding to the necessity of the body of Christ. Now, you can be saved and not go to church. But I think you're going to be a weak, anemic Christian. And I think that that's what Satan wants. He wants to, to, to separate, to pull you away from the pack, and then attack, attack. That's what he does, right? That's one of his devices. And so uh, I will say it is true when people say, I don't need to go to church to be saved. But that just grieves my heart when I hear people say that. They say it uh, in a very boastful way, and that is nothing to boast about. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Why would we say, I can be saved, but I don't need the church? Jesus feels pretty fond of the church. Amen? The church is his bride. And so for us to say, I don't need the church, there's a problem there. That's a real problem. And so that's why we would say at the least, we, we, see, we see really the, it's, it's critical uh, that we understand, it's critically important that we understand how important it is to be a part of the church as a believer. Cool? All right. So I would say those things right there constitute what, what we would say it's necessary. If you reject any of those things or teach against any of those things, that would, that would be a problem. Amen? Can I get an amen or what? Amen. Come on, testify, somebody. Seriously, what is going on out here? Okay. Testify. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So with that, I want to talk about the non-essentials. Freedom and the non-essentials. These are things that we can disagree on here. Okay? And um, I'm not so sure that people in here really believe that we can disagree on these things. Uh, but I'm insisting that we can. We can disagree on these things and still have sweet fellowship and serve hand-in-hand hand with each other. We must be able to do so. I talked about this before, you know, end-time stuff. I don't really get the sense that there's a lot of people in our church that are really, like, ready to pull out their sword and go to battle over the pre-trib rapture and mid-trib rapture and the, you know, a thousand-year reign of Christ and, you know, all of those kinds of things. There was a time when... Man, that was like all, all the rage in Calvary Chapel. I mean, it was, that was like, you know, a very big deal. But I think in the younger generations, as of late, it's not been as big of a thing. I think there are some churches where they, they're all about that. They have prophecy conferences and a lot of different things. And, um, you know, there's probably some folks in our church for sure that, that love those things and follow those things and love to debate those things. Um, Calvary Chapel holds to... Um, you know, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I'm not going to get into what that means, but um, I just got a text message. Someone's mad and leaving the church. I'm just kidding. Um, anyways, um, well, that's just not something that we're, gonna, we're ready to go, to go to war with. We believe Jesus is coming back, that, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. The next one would be sign gifts. Um, not to go too deep into this, but there are different categories of gifts mentioned in the Bible. Some of them are just very, like, would be considered the service gifts. Um, maybe more practical, if you want to call it, say it that way. But, like, um, helps, leadership, exhorting, um, you know, serving, which is helps, um, mercy, giving, uh, those kinds of gifts. And I would say everybody in here, if you're a believer, you've got one of those gifts. 
And so uh, some people just are uniquely gifted to have a heart of mercy and compassion for people. I'd say uh, uh, there's some, some question about whether the gift of faith falls into that, that particular uh, group of giftings or not. But exhortation, teaching, serving, leading, mercy, giving, uh, six or seven gifts there, eight counting faith, I think. Um, but then there are, is this other class of gifts that are called the sign gifts or the miraculous gifts or the revelatory gifts or com- confirmation gifts, confirmatory gifts. And those would be like tongues, interpretation of tongues, healings, miracles, um, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits, those, those gifts. And so all the debate is, do those gifts still happen in the church today? Are they currently being, uh, are they currently functioning in the church? So you have one camp who says that those gifts stopped when the apostles died. So does anybody know what that camp would be called? Cessationists. Okay, very good. And then there's the other side that says, no, those gifts continue on to the present and should be sought after in the church. That camp would be called what? Continuationists. Exactly. And so, hence, the gifts either ceased or they continue on. Cessationists, continuationists. And so, um, that's something people are ready to die for, but it shouldn't be. It should not be. Um, And in this church, my desire is, I know that we have different people in the church that have differing views. They're either to one extreme end or to the other extreme end or somewhere in the middle. And in this church, that is okay. And so even amongst the elders, we have differing views on these things. But listen to me. Do y'all, does anybody remember um, the SNL skit, Hans and Franz? Remember those guys, the bodybuilders? And they would be like, um, you know, hear me now and listen to me later. You remember that? they'd say weird stuff like that? Well, that, that's the problem a lot of times. You're, you're, you're hearing, but you're not listening. And so hear me now and listen to me now right? Okay, this is important. These kinds of things are not something that I want to be a source of contention in the church. And so they can be, but we can still very much get along, love each other, serve the Lord, and differ on these things. And so whether you believe that those gifts continue on to the present or ceased with the apostles, that's your own prerogative. It's your, your conviction from the Word of God. If I were to see any kind of abuses happening in the church, because of those gifts, then I would have to say something because I have seen abuses, and I do think that is, but not here, not in this church. I have not, and I, I appreciate that. Um, and so, as I said, we have people that differ across the board on these things, and that is okay. It is not a gospel essential. Are we good with that? You promise me? Are you sure? Okay. All right. Uh, we, we must be, because people, they really will get offended at these issues and look at each other uh, through a lens of suspicion. You know, you got people who want to swing from the chandeliers and you got the people with the bolt cutters trying to cut them down, you know. And so um, we have to, you know, we have to somehow learn to really have fellowship and, and be okay with that. Um, another one is uh, God's sovereignty versus, you know, man's free will and salvation. Um, you know, I, I hate to even use these words, but I'm going to. Calvinism and Arminianism. 
The reason why I don't like to use those words is because they bring all kinds of baggage into the thing. People already have preconceived ideas and notions about what that means. And I will submit to you that a lot of times people don't fully understand what is being said when those terms are being used. Um, and I don't have time to get into this today. I would like to sometime in the future deal with that in a very, um, very clear uh, strategic way. Uh, but what it essentially boils down to is one side who really emphasizes God's sovereignty and salvation and another side that really emphasizes man's free will and salvation. And there are varying degrees in between, right? So there are some who say that salvation is monergistic. It's all God's doing. God elected us. He sent his son to die for us. At a certain point in time, he opens our eyes and reveals to us our own sin and our need of the gospel, and then we come, and then we're regenerated, and then God keeps us to the very end. And it was solely, unilaterally a work of God. Then there is synergism, which says that it's, it's a cooperative effort, synergistic salvation, that God, he revealed to me my need of a Savior and my sin, but I could have rejected it. I didn't have to come, but I chose to, so it was a cooperative effort. And that, that also tends to lend itself towards this idea that you can also turn away from your salvation. Not necessarily lose it just because you said a cuss word, but like you can reject Christ and apostatize and walk away from the faith. So that, that is a super, super oversimplification, but you've got you know one side that emphasizes solely God's doing and one side that emphasizes really more of man's man's freedom, if you will, in the whole matter, to choose it or to reject it. And so um, it can get so much more complicated than that. Um, and I would love one day just to spend the whole time talking about those things. But not today. <laughs> so we have to have grace one for another in this because, again, we have people who really vary in this, in this church. And again, even on our elder board. And so... Um, from one end of the spectrum to the other and varying degrees in between. Um, and so I just want to say we've got to give each other the grace to hold their convictions on these matters. This is not a gospel matter. Whether you believe God chose you or you chose God, if you are believing in Jesus Christ for salvation, that's, that's what matters. Now, let me just say this. There will be times where I will take a stand on what I believe the Word of God is saying, and it might not be what you like. You know, and I've already been there and done that a little bit, and that's because as I understand that text, I'm trying to be as true to the text as I can be. Amen? And so that's really what I ask, is we may differ on these things, but as the teaching pastor, I need the freedom to be able to say, as best as I can, can understand it from the Word of God, thus says the Lord. You know what I mean? And, um, and you can be good Bereans and determine whether, whether, you, whether you buy that or not or agree with it or not. But, you know, as I get to the scriptures and deal with these things, um, I'm not going to play loose and fast and loosey-goosey. I, I don't want to waver between two opinions. I want to know what I believe and why I believe it and, and stand firm on it, even if you don't like it. Number three, we ask that we be a church that pursues holiness. Pursues. Now, that word scares people. It's scary, right? It shouldn't be. It's a biblical word. I want us to recover that word. It's important. Holiness is important to God. Our God is holy. Amen? 
and he expects us to be holy. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. That is, the godless, pagan society that they were in the midst of. He says, they walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, whether we realize it or not, and whether we like it or not, this describes us outside of Christ. Whether we were just totally debauched and in depraved immorality, or we're just the, the cleanest, neatest, little moralistic legalists, God was very displeased with that. And, and that was a great offense to him and to his holiness. And so God, in his grace, saved us out of that. He called us into a new way of living, into a new way of living. Verse 20, he says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, listen, in true righteousness and holiness. So this text, in context, we're going to look at the, at the verses that came right before this here in a moment. And he was just talking about the body of Christ growing up into Jesus who is the head. Every part working together to do its part for the overall good of the church. And he goes immediately into this. This is who we were, but we're no longer that. Now we are to put off the old man, put on the new, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So, therefore, we are called to be a holy people. That doesn't mean perfect. It means different, set apart, distinct, unique, not like the world. And so Christ wants a holy church. If you know Christ, you are called to live like it. And the Bible uses the words to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To live a life that is consistent with your profession. Amen? And so the Bible describes it as putting off and putting on. We are to put off the old man, the old woman, and, and all of those passions and, and sins and lust and things that grieve the heart of God. And we are to put on the new man, the new woman that looks like Jesus, which is love and truth and joy and peace and integrity, uprightness, holiness, goodness, all the, the fruits of the Spirit. That characterizes the new man. Yeah, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That's the thing about the old man. He was decaying. You know what? A corpse, it decays. And that's what it was like. We were getting worse all the time. We were decaying in that condition. But he says instead, the new man is to be renewed daily. We are always becoming new. Isn't that amazing? We don't become a new creation and then 20 years later we're an old creation. No, we are always new creations, and we're becoming newer all the time. And so the new man, the new woman, is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so as members of Calvary Napa, we ask that we take holiness seriously, that we take it seriously. Um, as you've seen, we are a church that does take that seriously. And I will say that some of the sweetest seasons in the Lord for me have been when I attended churches that took uh, holiness 
very seriously. And so we want to be that. And, you know, it's something I use the word pursue. We're working at it. Amen? We're working towards it. And I want to um, share another resource with you. If, uh, if you would like to learn more about holiness, pursuing holiness, this is actually a two-in-one with a, with a Bible study in between. But Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. Epic, epic book. I've read it multiple times. I've probably encouraged people to read this book more than any other book. Next to it is The Practice of Godliness. Again, same thing. And so I would encourage you to get the book, at the least, The Pursuit of Holiness. I'm telling you, it is life-changing, life-giving, and uh, learning about holiness and what that means for us. It's so good, so good. So I want to encourage you with that. And so that's something we want to be serious about here, amen? Moving even faster, commitment to the elders, number four, commitment to the elders of the church. Christ has given elders to lead the church. There is a mutual commitment that is required here. So, so we are here to serve you. We are here to pour our lives out for you. But we also ask that you would be accountable to the pastors of the church, that it would go both ways. Amen? Now, we are accountable to you. Believe me when I tell you. We are not above having any of you in here check us or look into our lives or ask us questions or hold us to, to a standard. Amen? We are not some unapproachable... We've got it all down, and, and you know, it's, it's just not that. This goes both ways. And so um, being accountable to the leaders, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. Considering the outcome of their conduct, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, look, we feel the full weight of having to be examples for the flock. Some people will say, hey, don't follow me, follow Christ, right? Well, we don't have that luxury. We are commanded to be examples. We can't say, we can't shirk that or put that, no, we have to be examples. Believe me when I tell you, we feel the full weight of that. We feel the full weight of having to give an account for your souls one day and how we shepherded you while you were in our care. And so your responsibility is to allow us to shepherd you. You know, allow us to shepherd you. And so, you know, be, be transparent with us. Be accountable. Come to us. Lean on us. Let us be a resource to you. Follow us as we lead. You know, are, am I your pastor? Am I your pastor? I've had a pastor say to me before, sometimes if there's an issue uh, with someone in my church, sometimes it simply boils down to that. And I'll just have to say, am I your pastor? Because if I'm not, then maybe, you know, that, that can be a problem, right? And so are we your, your pastors here at Calvary Napa, the elders here that God has raised up to serve? You need to, if you, if you do not think so, if we're not, then that would be an issue, right? I wouldn't encourage you to want to be a member of the church if you don't trust and, and see the, the elders as men called of God to shepherd your souls here. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. And so, you know, as Hebrews says, let us do it with joy and not with grief. That's a mixed bag. I mean, I have had some people who have, you know, I've, it's been a, a grievous thing, but by and large, man, you, you guys, you just bless me. You bless my heart, bless my soul, and I am allowed to, to shepherd with great joy. And I praise God for you guys. And so I would just say we need grace as leaders. 
We need grace. You know what ministry is like? It's like building an airplane and flying it at the same time. Think that through. That's what it's like. It's like building an airplane and flying it at the same time. I mean, we, we're, we're, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we got. Everything is always a moving target. Things can be extremely complex. There are so many more moving parts than people, most people realize at any given time. And so, man, and we are just men. The best of men are men at best. And so as the leaders pray for us and, and give us grace, amen? All right, lastly, this is what, I, what we would ask that you take serious. If you consider Calvary Napa your home and you want to be a member here, commit to participate. Commit to participate in the body of Christ. And so, listen, this is not a checklist. This is not something that we're going to be keeping tabs on you guys and making sure you're doing these things. And this is not intended to be some kind of a legalistic checklist for you so that you can feel good about yourself or bad about yourself. We just want to be very clear and upfront on the same page that these are things that are important. When the church says that each member is to do its part, these are very practical, clear ways in which we believe Members of the body are doing their part. So first, I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the affecting, effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edification of itself in love. So every part doing its part. Why? For the building up of the body. So as members of Calvary Napa, we ask that you participate, one, in consistent attendance, just being present. I realize that there are various things that come up that cause us not to, have, not to be able to be here all the time, but making it important. You know, if, this is, if you consider this your church and you're a part of this body, if you're gone, the body feels it. And that's a true statement. And so just being consistently connected to the body of Christ, being present, it kind of just starts there. And I would, I would ask that we do our best to be on time, to be, do our best. I realize that's hard. We've, we've talked about even moving the service back 15 or 30 minutes, but we know that if we did that, people would, you know what I mean, it, it just wouldn't work. And so I'm just asking, you know, it's all love here. Um, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? But uh, seriously, consistent attendance and on-time attendance, especially for our youth group now that well, that's really going well back there. and We have uh, guys back there that are really putting on a good youth program. Um, you know, we just ask that the youth can be on time in there. So parents, I'm not looking at anybody right now. If that's you, get after it, okay? All right. I'm just kidding, but not... Okay, um, congregational singing, and this again kind of like requires being here on time, uh, but singing like you mean it, singing like you really love Jesus and like you really are redeemed. I've talked about this before. There really is a difference between like the worship where it's all about the band and there's the lights and, and uh, you know, it's whether people are singing or not, no one would even know because the music is so loud and that's like what the people come for. Because, oh man, I just love how it makes me feel, you know, and just gets me feeling so good. That's, we're talking about something different here. Congregational singing, where it's more your voices 
that are being lifted up so loud you can hardly hear what's going on up here. And if this stops, what's going on out here is going to continue on uh, with, with so much force. I mean, that's just, that's an, that is an aroma rising to the heavens that, that is well-pleasing to Jesus. That's congregational singing. That is exalting and glorifying Christ. Amen? And so that's what we're trying to encourage our people to, to be very serious about, congregational singing. Being um, a part of a life group. We've got a handful of life groups happening uh, we would ask that you take seriously being in one. This is optional. We believe that the Lord's day is a scriptural mandate today. But life group, that's optional, but we would ask that everybody be a part of a life group because that's where you really begin to develop relationships and, and come more fully into the family here. And I know that for as many of us in here are as in a life group, you know what I'm saying is right. It's true. And so we ask that you would seriously consider being a member of a life group. We ask that you seriously consider serving, serving using your gift here in the church for the edification of the body of Christ. We ask that you take seriously giving, giving to the Lord financially for the, the overall work of the Lord here in the church and giving in worship to God. Now let me just say at this point, I preached on this a lot uh, a couple months ago. Guys, I can't even believe the turnaround that I have seen in the giving here. It boggles my mind. I have talked about giving a few times over the years, never even made a dent, but this time it has like truly turned around, and I am thrilled. I don't know who gives what. I don't want to know. I don't need to go know, but I know what the state of the giving is, and that's important as we lead and want to do new things, and so now we're talking about supporting some new missionaries, you know, and uh, I talked to, to, there's one, um, they're looking at uh, some folks we talked to trying to reach an unreached people group in North Africa, and it's like a 20-year endeavor where they're going to have to go learn uh, Arabic and then get into uh, making contact with the people and then learning how to communicate with them. I mean, that's some awesome stuff, isn't it? And there's so many different kinds of opportunities available to us, and when we give to the Lord, we can do more of those kinds of things many different kinds of things. And so I'm excited to see how giving has turned around. I think that's a mark of a healthy church. I think the fact that the people responded to my preaching is a mark of a healthy church. And the fact that we're going to be able to do more and more for the kingdom of God is awesome to me. That gets me fired up. Amen? So let's keep, let's keep that going. It's, it's awesome that it has turned around, but let's continue to give to the Lord to the end that we can see uh, and celebrate more awesome things happening for the kingdom of God this year and in the coming years. Amen? And we'll com communicate these things to you more and more as, as they come up. You know, what gets celebrated gets supported. And so we want to do a better job celebrating uh, what God is doing so everyone can see the fruit of their giving. Amen? And then lastly, I would say inviting. You know, we want to be inviting. I don't know about you. I get excited. I'll watch a video on YouTube, and I'm trying to show it to everybody. I'm sending it to you right? It's the things that we are excited about, we want to tell people about. If this is your church, if you love it here, if you can tolerate my long sermons, then man, and you think your friend can too, invite them on in, you know, like have them come be a part of this love, this Christian community that is happening here at Calvary Napa. We want to be a welcoming church and an inviting church. So just in summary here, consistent attendance, on-time attendance, congregational singing, participating in a life group, serving, giving, inviting. You know, these are things that we would say make a, a, a functioning, active member in the body of Christ here. Again, 
We're not going to be keeping tabs on any of this. We're not going to be breathing down your neck about it, but we just want to be on the same page. That's, that's how I would describe uh, a member of the church here, an active, functioning member. Amen?